Hi, this is Amanda Dolan, and welcome to The Mental Society. Today, we are joined by Julie Hall. Julie is a licensed marriage and family therapist, working with students, parents, couples, and families around many issues, including anxiety, depression, disordered eating, and trauma. And she has a heart for outreach to those in trauma recovery and life transition stages. Julie is trained in the practice of mindfulness, as well as restoration therapy, emotionally focused therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and dialectic behavioral therapy, all of which are tools she uses in her work. In part to her own experience, Julie deeply desires to walk alongside women and couples experiencing fertility challenges. Uh, and she has provided clinical support and facilitation for Seattle's Pacific Northwest Mind-Body Fertility Program. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today to discuss how fertility um, struggles can impact our mental health and well-being relationships um, and all of that. And just for our listeners, Julie and I, talk, you know, we're on the same page. Just want to give you a definition of what infertility is, which is the um, inability to get pregnant after trying to conceive for one year or longer. Um, so let's get into it. Julie, you know, we talked about um, that your, uh, or I said your own experience, what interested you in fertility um, treatments and how it's affecting women and couples. So would you yeah. share a little bit about your own story? Yeah, I'm happy to. So I, um, prior to stepping into this field um, of marriage and family therapy in this study, I was in tech. So I worked in tech in all different facets of tech for um, a long time. And, um, and then my husband and I, we actually started to um, try to expand our family and we ended up having a lot of issues um, physically. We were not able to get pregnant. And this was really, for me, a shock because this wasn't something that was in my family. Nobody in my family, as far as I knew, was experience, you know, had experienced fertility issues. And so it was a really difficult time. It was a difficult time for me. It was a difficult time in our relationship. And, um, I'll share with you just a quick story. I mean, yeah. so, uh, yeah, so I was, uh, I was at, you know, we were at an appointment with our reproductive endocrinologist and, um, just kind of a routine appointment where, you know, we were going through treatments and, um, you know, he was talking with us about, you know, what the next steps were. And then he kind of slid me a business card of uh, a therapist who worked in the practice with him. And he had shared with me that it might be helpful for me to um, meet with this person. And I was initially offended. I was initially offended because I thought, you know what, I'm navigating all these sort of biological issues. The way that I was receiving this, you know, passing of a business card was, now you're telling me something's wrong with me. Right. Like it's your emotions that are getting in the way of pregnancy or. Right. Right. My emotions are getting in the way right now. You know, there's, I'm, there's, you know, there, I, the way that I language it was something's wrong with me. So I, I took it. Um, and as much as I was resistant, I did end up going to that appointment. And I'll, you know, as far as my resistance, part of the resistance too, was that, you know, going to therapy 
when, you know, as I was growing up, that was not something at all that was affirmed, right? right. There was so much stigma around going to therapy, right? It was for people who like really had issues and it was something you kept really close to the vest and, um, you, you know, and so it, again, it, it was like the stigma around it was shame, right? The stigma around it was shame. And so all that being said, like, like I shared with you, I did go to the appointment. And when I went to the appointment, it was um, amazing. It was amazing. I, the way that I describe it is it was like the floodgates opened. I had no idea that I was carrying so much emotional pain in the midst of what I was navigating. I, I just didn't know. And so to have this space in which um, I was being listened to and it was really made for me to just process kind of the emotional experience that I was carrying alongside kind of the physicality of what we navigate with infertility. It was obviously life-changing for me. And it was really the catalyst for me in going back to school and becoming that resource for people who were navigating similar issues to myself, because I knew at the time that I was walking through this, it was incredibly isolating and I didn't feel like there were resources for people like me. And it just exacerbated the stigma that I am alone Mm -hmm. in the middle of something so painful. And, you know, you're saying like that you feel, you felt so alone and, What's interesting about that is about one fifth of women experience infertility or without a, you know, um, and that's a lot of us. And it seems like I have a few people that I know that are very close to me that I know that they've struggled with, with fertility. Um, but it just feels like something we don't talk about as, as a culture. What, what's your take on why we don't talk about the difficulty some of us have getting pregnant? Uh, It's a great question, Amanda. You know, I think a lot of us sort of feel like people don't understand, right? So it's almost like this secrecy kind of perpetuates this idea that we are alone. And so to be that person to share something so vulnerable um, can be really difficult, especially when kind of the the environment doesn't sort of elevate these conversations. So just, right. you know, I think, and we also just societally, I think can have, can struggle holding one another's pain, right? So if Absolutely. this is something that I try to share, right? Someone might, you know, try to offer something that they think will be helpful. And yet it in fact is actually re-injuring, right? And, yes. I, you know, yeah. I, I was thinking of, um, I have a, a friend, um, who had two miscarriages in a row. Um, and in both cases, you know, she was, I think about 12 weeks along, um, which is pretty far along in a pregnancy to, to lose it at that point. You know, you, you become attached to that, that little baby inside of you and you're planning the future. And she was very open about it and, um, on social media and she's a large following, Um, and people were, well, you did this wrong. You should have done that. Why didn't you eat this? I can't believe you did that. And she was questioning whether she should have shared. Right. Because she knew that she wished that people had shared, but also it 
like you said, it was almost like re-traumatizing her That's every right. time those comments showed up, every time someone told her that she was not good enough, like she did something wrong. That's right. She did something wrong or, you know, um, she, you know, this, this story that we can hear that, um, uh, we were too stressed out or, um, you know, another one of, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. Right. And so again, these incredibly, and, and perhaps they're well-meaning, perhaps they're well-intentioned, um, but they can be incredibly re-injuring, incredibly re-traumatizing, right. For someone who's navigating the space. And yeah. so, you know, with that, when I think about, you know, how my friend navigated that, it makes sense that she wouldn't want to share and that many of us wouldn't want to share uh, because it's a, there must be something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And it often feels like it's, there must be something wrong with you as the woman, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That, um, and, and that is often true, right? That there is stuff going on in a woman's body, but men can also have fertility sure. problems. Sure. Um, and so curious what you like if we're thinking about like men and women um and women are often held to this kind of higher standard of you know you've got to be the one to get pregnant when they don't what kind do you think there's any shame involved in that like I'm not good enough I'm not a real woman because I oh my gosh Amanda that's really an understatement right I mean there's so much I think culturally that is tied to women in particular uh, becoming mothers, right? And what that means to the identity of a woman, right? How much that is elevated even more so than it is for men. And so it can um, be incredibly devastating. And again, the, the, the secrecy also exacerbates the shame, right? The less people are talking about it, the more that we feel like we are alone in it, the more it kind of heightens this experience of shame for us, right? And I, the way that I describe it is shame, it tells a story. And often that story is inaccurate, right? It's a real story. It comes from somewhere, but it's not necessarily, it's not an accurate story. And I think that, you know, as women, the story that we're told is to be a woman, a complete woman, that's you right. need to have a child. You need to be a mother. And I do think that some of that is shifting that, you know, it's becoming more normalized that some women just don't want children. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a difference between I don't want children and that's a choice that I've made and I want kids and I'm not able to have them. Oh gosh. Yeah, that's right. There's a distinction there, right? One is something that I choose right? One is something that, you know, it it feels like it's coming from an empowered place. And the other is one that's coming from a place of disempowerment, right? A place of grief. And, you know, use that word grief. And I think that's a great word, both when it comes to um, a pregnancy loss with that, you know, with a miscarriage, um, but also that grief that comes with I mean, almost every month, right, when your period starts and there's, you know, there's some grief there. It's like, uh, again, like I don't, yet again, I don't have this baby that I want. And you've lost that hope almost of having 
that child that you've dreamed of. And for, I think a lot of women, it's a dream that we've had being a mom since you know you were tiny and you got your first doll. And, you know, I know we've, I said, women are, some women don't want kids and that's becoming more okay societally. It's fine. I have no problem. If you want kids, great. If you don't, awesome. But, um, you know, I think as we've made that um, more okay, like there's mm-hmm. still this, like, I want a kid and that's what's going to make me whole. And yeah. Oh yeah. It's like this, you know, I think it, the therapy, you know, the way that I can language it therapeutically, it's like this anticipatory grief, right? This, you know, every month, as you described, Amanda, of um, holding hope and to hold hope is, is vulnerable. It is tender to give yourself permission to hope. And when that hope is, you know, met with disappointment month after month after month, um, it is devastating. It's emotionally, mentally, physically, perhaps even spiritually devastating. Oh, I, yeah. I honestly hadn't thought of the spiritual side of it. And that, you know, I could imagine there's a God, why are you doing this to me? I like, this is all I want. Am I not good enough? Like in your eyes, you know, referring to God. And that's something I hadn't thought of that. And certainly our relationship, our spiritual relationships impact our mental health as well. That's right. That's right. You know, there's the spiritual component of, you know, and, you know, for people who have some, you know, spiritual connection, right? This idea that children are a blessing and therefore am I not receiving a blessing? So many narratives I think that can be harmful for us and re-injuring for us as we're navigating this space. And I think what's also particularly painful about navigating fertility issues is that often these are pains that can go unseen, right? To people around us, right? And yet, we can experience triggers anywhere, right? I remember for me when I was trying to, you know, get pregnant or I had just had a miscarriage or I was recovering from, you know, ectopic, Mm -hmm. emergency ectopic surgery, I'd be walking down the street, you know, I I lived in San Francisco at the time. It was a walking city. I was walking down the street to pick up, I don't know, something from the store and I passed by someone who was clearly pregnant, you know, and it was just gutting. It was just gutting, right? And so these reminders that can happen anywhere, right? Whether it be a parent and child interaction that you witness, right? Something on social media. A diaper commercial. A diaper commercial. Right, I mean, it's, it's, and it's all around us. Right, it's all around us. And so again, it's, you know, this kind of silent, grief that we can be navigating so it's the grief itself coupled with what we describe as the grief story what's the story that I'm telling myself about myself in the midst of this grief grief am I not good enough am I a failure right am I you know not being blessed right um is something wrong with me so the pain in and of itself coupled with the story that I can tell myself about myself in the midst of this it's devastating. And, you know, the stories that other people are telling us on top of the stories that we're telling ourselves. Hello. Hello. Um, which just, you know, it's like another voice of the 
some level of you're not good enough. You're not worthy of whatever this is. And um, I'll share a, a story with you of um, when I was trying to get pregnant with my daughter um, and it was, a, we were struggling um, and I, I got on Clomid and, and I got off because it was not great for my mental health. Um, just the hormones ended up being enough to get me my, you know, body saying, okay, we'll, we'll get pregnant. But before that, um, I want to state that I, I, this is not a political statement before I get any further into this, but um, I was working for a large retail company and I had a cashier who was 16 or 17. She was walking through the break room and she was on her phone and it was clear she was talking to a friend who was pregnant and she said something along the lines of, oh, it's okay. You can just get rid of it. And here I am married and financially secure and desperate for a child. And all I want is to be pregnant. And I heard that my, my heart broke because I was like, it's not fair. Like this child just like got pregnant, doesn't want it. And I'm a grown adult that's married and has a, you know, space in my home and the resources and the love in my heart. And I don't, I don't get to be a mom. It's all I wanted is to be a mom. Yes. Um, I feel that with you. And, and I know that, you know, I felt really lucky that those just few months of hormone treatments was enough for me. I know that that's not enough for a whole lot of people out there. Um, and one of the things that gets in the way, I think is the cost of treatment. So when you're working with people, how does that show up? Just the cost. Yeah. I mean, I think the cost of treatment is very real and very important to identify as an, as just a compounded stressor in the midst of having to navigate fertility issues, right? So much of um, fertility treatments are not covered, right? right? So coupled with, I think, judgment that people can have around fertility treatments, it's also generally not covered by insurance. And uh, there is a significant cost. And the challenge I think with the cost is that there is not a guaranteed right. return, right? So these are really just um, chances that you are taking, right? Yes. And financial chances that you are taking. And it's, um, it is incredibly scary. I, I mean, I, I did a little research and it, it looks like IVF, like in, in vitro fertilization, can cost anywhere from, you know, 15 to 25,000. I think it depends on, you know, per cycle. That's exactly um, right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I found through the CDC's website, a calculator where you can put in like your age and your, you know, some other factors that um, show you the likelihood that you would get pregnant on the first, second or third, you know, um, IVF procedure. So for me, as a 43-year-old woman who's a little overweight, but has also had a pregnancy, which means it's easier for me to get pregnant again, sure. um, and with one round, there's an 8% likelihood that I would get pregnant. Two rounds, that moves it up to 16% total between those two. And with three, it's only we're only at 20%. So that means that I could spend 
$75,000, which is an annual salary for a lot of people, for the majority of people. And that only gives me a 20% chance of success. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you're having to make these kinds of decisions, right? Coupled with, you know, uh, you know, bargaining or trying to negotiate with the insurance companies and, um, you know, having to, you know, deal with the healthcare, you know, system, you know, on top of this incredibly deep, vulnerable longing to expand your family. And I, I could imagine as well that there might be some disconnect in couples That's right. About how much treatment, how much they're willing to pay. um, And and an additional just stress on a relationship when wanting, like when just going through this whole process, this. That's right. So first, have you ever noticed that there's kind of a blame game that happens? Like this is your fault that we're going through this. um, It impacts relationships. It's a great question. I don't experience the blame game as much as this. I think particularly when I'm, there's generally, when I'm sitting with couples, there's generally one person that's really desperate to fix it, right? And um, and when the, the, the couple, right, when each person in the couple is in fact going through this kind of joint grief, it can be very difficult for them to hold one another's because they are also in pain, right? Where they do not necessarily have the capacity to hold their partner's grief in the midst of it. Right. right? So that can often create tension, frustration, disconnection, where I don't want to come to my partner and share with them that I am devastated because I know that my partner's also going through their own pain, right? And so you end up sort of moving in your silos or kind of in your corners, but the grief will manifest, right? The grief might manifest in your irritability or anger or um, withdrawing, right? From just day to day, right? And, um, And so what I try to do in the therapeutic space is really help couples try to hold their, um, their own experiences in a way that can feel safe for them right? In a way that they, in which they don't feel like they are burdening the other and, and, and that they actually learn the tools to hold space for their partners as well, right? I think so yeah. often their part, you know, when, when I, let's, so for example, you know, in my situation, when I was going through this and so was my husband, my partner, um, one of the things that was really important for me was that he could essentially just stay there with me rather than try to fix it rather than try to go to all the different sort of possible solutions. And um, yeah. And I know in my experience, this is in my world and, and I, I don't know how true it is for others, but I, I found that men want to fix the problem. Yeah. And like, you know, it's a, there's a problem. I'm going to fix it. And with fertility, that's not an easy fix. And it's certainly not something that can be often fixed without medical intervention. That's right. That's um, right. And so when, you know, we talked about the cost of this, um, what's been your experience in dealing with couples around the financial strain that can 
come with fertility treatments? It's very difficult, right? Again, it's a it's a very difficult situation. I think particularly for me as a therapist, I do not, you know, I am not the person to offer sort of solutions for them as far as their own relationship. What I try to develop in the therapeutic space is a space in which they can actually talk about this in a way that keeps them connected, right? Talking about their both of their vulnerabilities rather than talking to one another from our defensive postures, right? right? How do we actually talk to one another from a more tender, more vulnerable place in which we can hold space for each other, right? Yeah. Like having this child is important to me because instead exactly. of how dare you not give me a child or why are you emotional all the time? That's right. And I think often, you know, what I try to help clients um, talk through is the next right thing. So uh, fertility issues can activate for us anxiety for a good reason, because we can feel incredibly disempowered. Right. I always say there's like this inverse direct relationship between anxiety and empowerment, meaning the more anxious I am, generally the less empowered I feel. The less anxious I am, the more empowered I feel. So what we try to tap into is where the couple can stay empowered. What does that look like for them? What are the questions that they need to ask their doctor in order to feel empowered in any way that they can? Because there can be such helplessness in the midst of navigating fertility issues. What, you know, and I always say information gathering is really, really powerful and helpful mm-hmm. for us, particularly in combating anxiety, right? Yeah. Go when ahead. you know, right. Like when you, when you can expect something or you have an idea that something is coming, there's not that like anxiety, that almost jump scare or what. I know that's right. But, but I'm right. thinking of, um, I I love this idea of providing a therapeutic space for them to get on the same page, figure out what they want to talk to the doctor about um, and almost prep for it so that they are having all their needs met at the doctor's office. Because I think so many of us get frazzled. The doctors are in a hurry because they have a bunch of patients that they need to see. So we forget things. And then, oh my gosh, I forgot that. And how did you, why did you forget to ask that question? That's right. That's right. So what, yeah. And so one of the, I think one, just one of the helpful therapeutic techniques is how do we help the couple kind of navigate just that next step, right? Because that next step and the outcome of the next step can often inform the following steps, right? And so it really helps us in that place where we can catastrophize, we can go to all the different what ifs and it's just not helpful. Right. It's just not effective for us as much as it can come up for us for our good reason. It's not helpful or effective. And so that's where we really try to practice what's that next right step. And also, you know, I think particularly for couples and relationships, what are some of the boundaries that are really going to be helpful for the two of you in moving through these spaces? Right. Maybe it's something like, you know, having to be really intentional about who we could, who we talk to, right? Maybe I'm not going to share this with everybody, particularly the people that when I actually have this conversation with them, I feel worse. Maybe I have to be really intentional about, you know, how much I share this with family, 
right? How much we share this process with our family. And so those are some of the things right. that we talk about in the therapeutic space to help, I think, couples um, really become just more empowered in how they navigate this journey. And, you know, I, I'm like, I've always thought, especially as I've gotten older, that you don't ask a woman when she's having kids or if she's pregnant until you, that baby is coming out of her, right? Like, hello. Yeah. Like it's not one, it's not your business. That's right. Um, but how I know that when, when I was asked, when are y'all having kids? What's your, like, what's your plan? You'll have been married for, you know, however many years now it's, so what, what's your recommendation for people who are experiencing infertility when they get those, when are you having kids questions? It's, you know, I think I love this. Um, I, I think I heard it from Tarana Burke. She, um, she, she's an author and she says, no one is entitled to your story. No one is entitled to your story. Right. And so when I work with couples or clients who are navigating fertility issues, I really try to help them. Um, we, we talk through these things, right. We talk through, you know, where, you know, environments in which they can be met with questions like that. What is a response that feels appropriate to them? Right. What, you know, what are some of the boundaries that are important for them as far as how they engage that conversation, right. Giving themselves permission to um, be very firm with their response and, you know, kind and firm with their response. And, you know, I remember my sister, um, I said, well, when are you guys having kids? And she said, oh, we're not, we don't want them. And I I said, why not? It wasn't, there was no judgment for me. I was just curious. And she said, sure. But frankly, I'm too selfish. I don't want the burden of a child. I want to be able to yeah. travel. I want to do all of these things. I like my money. You know what? And for me, that was the last time we talked about it mm-hmm. because she told me and then it was done. Now, when I was trying to get pregnant, she and I spoke a lot about it because I trusted her and she could hold that safe space for me. Sure. But I remember there were other people who I had shared that we were trying to get pregnant and every month, are you pregnant yet? Have you like, you know, did you, when was the last time you took a pregnancy test? Did you, did you have your period? And, and I just remember feeling um, almost violated That's right. by those questions because those, those weren't, those are questions that my doctor and I are talking about. Those are questions that my partner and I are talking about. I don't want to discuss that while I'm, you know, at Target because I ran into you and you know that I've been trying. And I wonder if that's part of why we don't talk about the trying and the, you know, infertility. Um, Because like you said, it re-traumatizes, like, right, it re-injures us when every time we're reminded that, and, and I'm, that we're a failure. And I don't think that that means you're a failure at all. I just think that that's how we internalize it is. That's exactly right. I'm, yeah. I can't get pregnant and I want to, I am a failure. There's something wrong with me. That's exactly um, right. And, yep. And that's, I think what can happen is we share this with, you know, people in our lives. And again, 
coming from a good intention place, right? A well-intentioned place. They will ask or check in, um, but it feels incredibly violating. It's incredibly personal. And again, those are, that's where the boundaries are really important. How do we craft um, language that's important for us as far as communicating? um, I'm not speaking about that, right? Or here's how you can support me. Here's how you can support me. Right. You know, and this is what that looks like. And it's different for all of us. Right. Support looks different for all of us. And I think boundaries are really important. I mean, period in every aspect of our lives. But, you know, when it comes to big life things like this, it's okay to say, you know what, even like, you know what, mom, Mm -hmm. I am not talking to you about this or I will let you know when I need help. That's exactly or, please don't ask me about this, but if I need to talk about it, I promise you I will come to you. That's right. That's right. And I yep. And what are- I would yeah. Go go ahead. What I would just add to that is as you know, I think to to your point and you know what we're talking about, the boundaries are incredibly important. And I would encourage, you know, anybody I'm working with who's navigating fertility issues, um, I would encourage you to really think about and consider, is there one person, right? And maybe it's my therapist, right? One person in my life whom I really feel like I can um, give myself permission to go there with. Because often the inclination for us when we are, um, you know, in the throes of something just so overwhelming, it can be to isolate and for good reason. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to take that time. And sometimes, right, um, taking that time for longer than a particular period can in fact be um, harmful, right? right? That it is really important for us to engage in relationships that are safe, right? That are safe. And so again, maybe it's that one person, maybe it's my partner, maybe it's a friend who gets it, right? Giving myself permission to connect with just one person who has, you know, a a sense of what I'm going through. You know, I also encourage for clients to give themselves permission to maybe write, right? Or journal throughout the process Mm -hmm. too find ways in which the, the the things that they're navigating emotionally kind of like that are floating around can just be grounded through, you know, any exercise mm-hmm. often find writing to be helpful, talking about it with someone to be helpful. Um, but just kind of building some more grounding practices. Yeah. Um, I'm going to share this with you because it's something that I love that. And I tell my clients too, is sometimes, you know, exercise, we're told to exercise or move our body. Sure. And then also to journal is a great, um, it's a great emotional release. It's a great way to yes. process things. I, a lot of the women that I work with say they just don't have time to do all of those things. So I encourage people out there in Google docs, or there's other things out there, throw your headphones in, go for a walk and just talk. Yes. Um, get it all out. And it may not make any sense. You don't even need to read it back. But like you said, there is something powerful about getting all of that out and powerful about having that support system, even one person. And maybe one person is, I mean, one person is all you really need. And sometimes I think having just that one 
means you don't have to re-explain everything, right? You don't have to go through all of that again. You've got this one person that knows the story. That's exactly it. I love that, right? It, you know, it's that the grounding practice of just taking what's kind of floating out, you know, in, in our minds and just allowing it to, whether it be put in paper, just be released through spoken word. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, there's this, like, as we're, we're wrapping this up, I think, you know, what I'm getting is support is crucial. Um, giving yourself permission to feel the things. Yes. Um, and uh, and understanding that, that you're not alone and boundaries. Oh yeah. Boundaries. You're not alone. Having and a solid would, support system. Yes. And I would say just that next right thing practice of that next right thing. What's that next right move for me, you know, as a way of tapping into any kind of empowerment, what's that next right step. Yeah. And, and you know, that I'm just going to say that next right step might be right in that moment, but later it might not be, you know, the next time you need to go to a step, it might not be that it might be something completely different, yes. which is why it's important to really think about what is the future? What do I want? And having a mental health professional like yourself that you can go to, that's a you know neutral third party that is invested as, in you, not in the situation. That's exactly you right. To be healthy yeah. and happy, um, not you know asking the well, when is it going to happen? And well, have you tried all of these different things that are quite frankly not always useful? Um, especially if they're not your doctor, they don't know what's happening inside your body. That's exactly right. And I always say that my client is the expert in their lived experience and our practice is really helping them tap into their intuitive wisdom. And this kind of continued connection with our intuitive wisdom is important to your point, right? What was the right next thing, you know, two days ago, maybe different today. And so just continuing to stay connected to that, you know, and I, I think the last thing I'll say, Amanda, is that more than anything, I think what is most important is the story that we are telling ourselves about ourselves, the story that we are telling ourselves about ourselves. And that's really important, I would say, to protect and keep sacred because people have their opinions. There is a lot coming at us, right, with regard to culture. And again, people that are coming from well-intentioned places and maybe not so well-intentioned, right? And what does it look like for us to really tap into the truth of who we are, right? What it means to protect who we are as humans, right? And care for ourselves and build up our mm -hmm. sense of self in the midst of this. And I'd like to add one thing to the, you know, know your story piece is if that story isn't serving you, like if it's not, that story doesn't feel good to you. Yeah. Where did that story come from? Yeah. And how can you shift that story so that it's serving you and it's helping you grow and not feel icky? And that's a very technical term I know, but all the time. Um, so yeah. thank you for you know sharing some of your story um and and giving our listeners a, a chance to hear kind of what all is behind the scenes when it comes to uh infertility and how it really does impact 
um, our personal well-being and our relationships. Um, and I would argue, therefore, the world as a whole, because when we are not whole, the whole world isn't as perfect as it was made to be. Um, so thank you for providing that space for those couples and for sharing um, your knowledge, your experience, and your story. Um, if you would like to find out more about Julie um, and what she does, you can check out her website, which is juliehalltherapy.com. And I will link that um, in the show notes as well. And uh, we have reached the end of today's episode. So I'd like to thank all of you for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. Now go out and open a conversation. Discover how mental health is experienced in your world. You can find more episodes of The Mental Society in all the places where you find your favorite podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. You can find additional resources and articles by visiting our website, thementalsociety.com. And remember that you are not alone in your struggles. Help and hope are all around you. Until next time, this is Amanda Dolan wishing you good health, mental and otherwise.